one of the subjects that um, both of us felt was really important right now, um, there's just, it's been a really hard week. And it's been an interesting kind of juxtaposition, a, a contrast, because eight, the last eight days from Sunday to Sunday were pretty extraordinary days. Uh, we saw in that week 148 people uh, step into a relationship with Jesus and follow him in baptism. And then this past Sunday, we saw another 117 people respond to Jesus. And that's like 265 people in eight days. So cool. We, that, we it's just a pretty amazing. That's, ama- that's amazing. And, well, and I would like to side note that nine of them were from Venice. That's awesome. Week. That's right. And, um, but then I tracked it down because I, that number wasn't high enough to me. And we had about 13 or 14 that were, that were baptized altogether because five of them got baptized on Sunday. In Hollywood? In Hollywood. Okay. All right. We'll let you count them. All right. And uh, so they're out here. Okay. In Mosaic, yeah. Venice, and Santa Monica. And so we're going to run this just like a 30-minute show. And then at the yeah. end, we'll, we'll uh, have some closing thoughts. And you guys are, I, so I thought, hey, why don't we do it live at midweek here and dive into these subjects here? Because one of the questions Aaron asked me last week was, all right, Dad, you, you've kind of always been like the person who's pushed the church into new expressions and in new directions and in new places. So what's next? He goes, it feels like we need to do something new. And I thought, this is new. I don't know. I don't think anybody's doing this. Maybe they shouldn't. Like, maybe we'll all discover a bad idea. Like maybe we'll realize this is not the new thing to do. And so, but we might discover it's a great idea. And, and maybe it's a bad idea at first because we're going to find our way through this. And then it's going to be an extraordinary idea. He looked at me. <laughs> no, but yeah. I also think what a great way to have meaningful conversations and create a space for people who are searching for God, yeah. who maybe aren't as comfortable in... Um, a more conventional way of communicating, expressing, expressing truth. And, and for me, there are times you don't even know. When I talk on Sunday, I'm only giving you 10% of what I know about the subject. I'm leaving 90% on the cutting room floor. And sometimes I just wish I could do the director's cut of my talk and, uh, and let you know all the things that led me to those conclusions. I have to, a lot of times, share with you the outcomes of my thoughts, but not the process of the thinking. And, and a lot of the real learning in life is in the process of the thinking, not just in the decision or the um, perception. So let's start. This is um, maybe our first, second, third, or fourth and uh, battle ready. It didn't have a name before, so it was an unnamed child. And, uh, but now we're, uh, I want to welcome all of you to the Battle Ready podcast. And... Uh, I drag kicking and screaming with me, Aaron McManus. And would you guys welcome Aaron? Thank you. <laughs> and today what we want to talk about is um, mental health. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We want to uh, talk about a subject that is not oftentimes talked about in the context of, um, of church, of faith. But we, um, we live in a, a city that has an extreme contrast. If you've traveled the world, you realize that L.A. is not normative to the global experience. This is, one, an incredibly attractive city. Like, we have friends who come from other places and they don't want to go back. Because they say, we've never seen so many beautiful people in our whole life. And it, it's because the most attractive people from 
almost every city, it seems like, in the world comes to L.A. to try to succeed in the movie and television industry. They're also incredibly intelligent, so they're not attractive and dumb. They're attractive and smart. Thank God, right? Most of them, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to go uh, with, with my perception on this one. <laughs> Um, if you're not smart, you won't know it doesn't, it doesn't apply to you anyway, right? So you're like, oh, wow, here I am. And uh, uh, attractive and smart. And, uh, but overwhelmingly, in a really smart city, a really talented city, a really gifted city, a really creative city. And if you looked at it from the outside, you would think this is the city with all the people who have it all together. This should be the happiest place on earth, not down in Anaheim. Somebody like, what's in Anaheim? <laughs> and it's not the happiest place on earth. It's a city full of people struggling with depression. It's a city full of people who are struggling with an overwhelming sense of disconnection and loneliness. It's a city where people really suffer from anxiety. It's a city that is self-medicated because we... Um, don't know ourselves. And on the backdrop of eight of the most amazing days for 265 people lean in and say yes to Jesus in some form or another, we wake up and, um, and one of the young guys in our community takes his life. And he was a part of us. He was here serving and setting up chairs and everyone who knew him liked him and... and um, and everyone who knew him describes him as an incredibly beautiful and um, enjoyable and likable human being. And if you looked at his life from the outside, you'd say so much potential and so much talent and so much opportunity. But on a, one particular moment, he couldn't think of a good reason to stay alive one more day. And then another one of our friends um, just went off the deep end and had a, a mental breakdown. And one of the things I, I do notice that so oftentimes when people have mental breakdowns, it's the worst of them that takes over, not the best of them. I mean, has it ever occurred to you that it's odd that when a person breaks down, that they don't just become overwhelmingly loving or just have an overflow of compassion or become um, infinitely empathetic? It seems that somehow when we break down, it's almost as if it traumatizes the best part of us. And then all we have available is the worst part of us. So we felt like it would be really important in this session to be battle ready for the stress of life. Because I'm pretty certain that everyone here has either struggled with depression or anxiety or you know someone that struggles with depression and anxiety? How many would say, yeah, that's true? Yeah. And so if this isn't, yeah, if this isn't for you, it's for someone that you know, or someone that you love, or someone that you're gonna know. So it's really important to know how to deal with these kinds of issues. It's not far from us, it's a real part of our life. Uh, it's not something we talk about as a part of our own struggle. 
And I, I can tell you that uh, in my own life, I have times where I just feel this overwhelming sense of aloneness, of disconnection, and it's not even rational. And um, in the past in my life, I just would bear that alone. And, and as I have grown and matured as a person, I've realized, wow, this is strange. I'm a really healthy person. I live an incredibly beautiful life. I actually enjoy life and I'm overwhelmingly optimistic and, and, and happy. And yet there's this undercurrent in my life where I can't explain it. It's almost as if it's a black hole that pulls me in sometimes. And uh, now what I do usually is I'll call Kim and I'll just say, hey, I'm in that space. And I feel like alone in the world. And the best way I can identify it is that it's connected to feelings I had when I was young, the feelings I had when I was um, a child, the feelings that were connected to real experiences that I overcame. But somehow it's almost as if there's a trap door in my soul. Can anybody resonate with that? And I'm walking great, and then suddenly I hit that trap door, and I just start dropping, and it feels like it's bottomless. And I don't know how to pull myself back out. And so I want to talk to you in part, and I want Aaron to be actively involved, because I know this is an important conversation for you. Um, I want to talk to you not about how other people pull themselves out or how a therapist tells you to pull yourself out. I want to talk to you about how I pull myself out and how the scriptures talk about that. What are your thoughts? Yes. Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, we found out on Monday night from a phone call from a family in our community and, and from a number I didn't, wasn't going to answer. And, and it, I got out of the shower and got a call and called them back and, and then ended up next thing I knew I was in the car driving to like our leaders houses who directly look after this young man. And, and I think then not to speak at a snail's pace for this podcast, but, uh, but more importantly, his, his life and his memory and his, his love for this place was so deep and so real. And the struggle he was in was so real. And yet none of us really knew how bad it was. And I think the thing that we've really been talking about, even with our lead teams and our, and our pastors, and we, you know, we call them Venice staff, even though none of them are hired. They're all just legends who work really way too much on building a place where you guys can bring your friends and we, we, we met up this morning and, and we just, we prayed for each other. We prayed for people who were going through stuff. We prayed for um, anxiety and depression and identity and loneliness. And I think that's the, I think we can get, especially in the day of like, not even to bring it about social media, but in a day of social media, like our identity can be so transfixed on an image that we're trying to replicate or create that we get to a place where we're intaking so much information, so many photos and so much content that it actually wears us down on the way that we see ourselves. And I know that I've struggled with that. I get to look at you all the time, and I'm like, he's better, taller, better, smarter, better. And, 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 and you're my dad, and so I get to take credit for a lot of it just by, just by gaining the, the, maybe the, um, the opportunities that you've provided. And, and, but I think that there's so many people and I'm grateful that I have people in my life that if I have going through something, I can raise my hand or I can shoot a text to somebody and go, hey, I'm, this is where I'm at. 
but there's so many moments in it. There's so many, not voices, but um, inner turmoil that, that can pull you from those people that seem so quick to like, we, could, we should be able to text anybody within a second and have somebody at our fingertips that goes, hey, what, what's going on in your life, right? That's what we say. That's what we say we're a community of. But I think so oftentimes, and you talk about this a lot, is that what happens is we isolate ourselves to a point where I don't, I live so close to you and I don't even want to text you and ask for your help. And you live so close to me. And if you're going through something that we've been going through as a family and as a church, as a community, because what's crazy is that when it rains, it pours. Like we had the baptisms, which is the biggest thing ever. Then we had this heartbreaking moment, which just wept about in the privacy of my car about a dozen times from Monday night to now. And, and then our family gets in fights over the dumbest stuff, like Thanksgiving, where we're spending Thanksgiving. And it seems so simple, but when, like in the context of like a hurting and anxious scenario, it, uh, it starts to wear down on like our ability to relate to each other as humans at, in a human way. I think to the point where we almost lose our communication with each other. And that's something we were talking about as far as how we communicate with God and how we communicate with humans and how do we communicate the hurt in our lives to get help. But um, that's what I think. So one of the tendencies we have is when we need people the most, we run from people rather than run to them. Right. And so the very things we need, we actually um, almost um, abstain from. We, we make it impossible for us. There's a passage of scripture I wanted to share with you because I, I think it really connects at a, at a deeply human level. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's in the middle of the story of Elijah. And the reason this story to me is so significant, it, it's literally right after Elijah's biggest moment. It's one of your favorite places where it's, so good. it's Elijah against all the prophets of Baal. And, and he's so Baal. arrogant. I he's, love it. Elijah's a little... Snide, you know, he's he's yeah. caustic. He's um, he's a great stand-up comedian. He's like a Louis C.K. or something, you know. And, he's uh, like the Kanye of prophets. Yeah. He, so they 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 built two. They, There's no Louis C.K. about him. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. There's no way he was like a middle-aged single dad. That was <laughs> like he was. So basically, he says, let's build two side. altars. Let's build two altars, and you guys pray to you your God. You got the Louis C.K. altar. I got the other. Okay. You build your altar, and you pray to your God, and you ask them, to bring, ask them all to bring fire down, and I'll, I'll build my altar, then I'll ask my God to bring fire down. And while they're doing their thing, and they're, they're, it's brutal. They're cutting themselves because they think that's what their God requires and just mutilating themselves and really agonizing. Their, and, and Elijah's like, Whoa, where's your God? You know, maybe he's not available. He literally says, like, maybe he's indisposed. <laughs> and, uh, you really want to explain what that means, don't you? Yeah, I do so badly. Go for it. Go for and, it. Uh, but, and he's just mocking them. And, and then he just pray. And then he has them just flush the altar with water, just pour water and pour water. And, and then God sends fire from heaven, consumes bo- both the altars. And you ever thought, if God did something like that in my life, I would never doubt again? Right? Because the problem in your life is that God just hasn't shown up big enough, right? I mean, the reason you doubt, the reason you fear, the reason you're stressed out, the reason you're anxious, the reason you're depressed, the reason you struggle with uh, despair is because God just hasn't shown up sending fire from heaven. But Elijah, the very next chapter, 19, beginning verse 1, it says, Now Ahab 
told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, you may not know much about Ahab, but he was an evil king. And you may not know much about Jezebel, but you know no one has ever named their daughter Jezebel. All right? So you know this is like, this is a bad human being. She's terrifying, right? And Ahab tells Jezebel, so we know who's in charge of that marriage, and, um, and what Elijah had done, how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent the messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you. Now, what's amazing to me is Elijah just saw fire come down from heaven, consume 950 prophets and two altars. That should hold you for at least a week, <laughs> right? But Ahab tells Jezebel and his woman sends a messenger. She doesn't even go herself. She sends a messenger and says, I'm going to kill you. It, this is what should happen next. Elijah should have said, come on. Right? He should have said, bring it on. Like, what do you got? I already took care of all your prophets. What do you got, woman? And, but he didn't. And uh, it says, go ahead. Woman. Woman. <laughs> and then um, it says, Elijah was afraid. That's the very next line. That's his response. And I, I felt really stressed out today. Can I just be straight up? Today I felt overwhelmed with anxiety. And Aaron asked me that classic question, why are you anxious? That, that deserves a beat down. Because uh, <laughs> when you're anxious, you don't know why you're anxious. It doesn't make sense. And that's the thing about anxiety. It's an, it's an irrational response to an overwhelming sense that life is out of control. So why am I anxious? Because I'm human. And, uh, and God isn't coming through the way I want him to come through right now. Elijah was afraid. He felt life was out of control. And he ran for his life. So I'm really encouraged by this because if Elijah can be terrified and run for his life after the best moment in his life and God showed up for him, that lets you know that when you're having your worst moment, you may not be further from God than you think. You may be actually closer to God than you think, than you know. So here's the first like, practical thing I want to tell you. If you're struggling with mental illness or if you're struggling with depression, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with a sense of despair, it doesn't mean that you are not deeply connected to God. It just means you're human. And I think sometimes what ends up happening in the faith conversation is that you're struggling with this stuff and then people tell you, if you were just right with God, you'd be okay. So on top of all the pain you're dealing with, now you're dealing with guilt and shame. And so if we don't go any further, what I want you to do right now is to release the guilt and the shame. Maybe you don't know how to deal with anxiety yet. Maybe you don't know how to deal with the depression yet. Maybe you don't know how to deal with this overwhelming sense of loneliness or insignificance, whatever you're going through. But what you can let go of is the guilt and shame. Okay? Elijah ran for his life, and he's probably the most powerful prophet who ever lived. He ran away because he was afraid, and he was afraid of what could happen that would never happen because life felt out of control. 
By the way, that's one of the reasons worship is so important. And I know in your own life and your journey back to Christ, worship has been really essential to who you are. You want me to follow what you just said? (laughs) I'd like for you to keep going. (laughs) The reason worship... I'm like on the edge of my seat. It's so good. ...is so essential to the process of healing is it doesn't just align your priorities right, which is important. But what worship actually does is it, it creates a shift of responsibility. Are you with me? Because when you walk in and you're stressed out, when you walk in and you're depressed, when you walk in you're anxious, when you walk in you're overwhelmed by life, you've taken on responsibility for things that you do not have the power to carry. And so you're in this, this um, horizontal positioning. And if, if you're in a horizontal position, all the rain that comes pouring on your roof lays heavy and it collapses and goes into your house. But when you shift the roof and you go vertical, then all the rain just pours off to the sides and actually waters the fields around you and grows a harvest and bears fruit around your life. And... So that's one of the reasons why you can't even explain why when you're worshiping, something actually is happening inside of you. You feel it, and you just, want, you just wish it would last when you leave. And that's one of the reasons you have to shift worship from simply being singing to being living. Because when you're in here, you're worshiping through music, through song, and that's not supposed to be the end of worship. That's supposed to be the beginning of worship. When we sing and worship in here, it's supposed to teach you how to worship when you're not singing because you would just look really weird singing at work. <laughs> and, uh, but your soul can be singing the whole time. Your soul can be worshiping the whole time. You can keep realigning your internal narrative to go, oh, that's right. This is bigger than me. It's not mine to bear. And so I need to give it to God. So let's talk about the practical things here. I'm going to read it. You're going to point it out. <laughs> sure, but are you sure you can keep going? No. It says, can, I, can I add something real quick about worship? Absolutely. I'm ready now. <laughs> uh, no, I think I, whenever I invite friends, the first question I always ask them, the first question I walk off stage when I talk is, did I make any sense? Like, did that make any sense? He knows and he hates it. He's like, did you talk about Jesus and did you explain it the right way? I was like, maybe, kind of. He's like, then he made enough sense. Like, he'll do the rest. The, the other question I ask when I, when I ask new people that I've invited is always, how freaked out are you right now? <laughs> Especially, like, during the announcements after the worship. Like, because you can always see, like, a little bit of terror on their face. Whether they're, like, new, to, whether it's new to Mosaic or new to Jesus or new to church. And it's crazy because I remember when I was new to church, again, I had kind of grown up in church, but like running from it for so long and then being in a church in New York and, and the guy sat me in the middle row. Because you were like Elijah. You ran for your life. My life. And he had shown up in so many ways. And I think that's, we can get to that part later. But um, the worship, I remember sitting in worship and one hating it. I was the guy and you know that you're here. There's so many of you that like crossed arms and just stared at the dude singing with his guitar. And his skinny pants. And 
And, and like now that like even now just but no one but no one but no one is staring at Ari with anything negative no how can you, you she's can't. so sweet you gotta love her she's like a little angel you can hate on JD <laughs> but you are nothing but love to Ari just keep going okay I was getting serious go for You're it getting serious no but I think the reality is that when we worship it can be such a terrifying thing because it is like a it is, a, it is an exchange, right? Like the idea that we glorify God, the idea that we are giving honor and love and praise is such a foreign thing when you don't actually honor yourself and you don't actually have things if your soul isn't actually aligned with worship. And the idea of lifting your hands in surrender, the idea of surrender, I think brings so much anxiety. The idea that you can surrender to something that you can't see is, I think we surrender to relationships, to our jobs, to our addictions, to even things like Instagram or sports or whatever it is. We surrender to so many things that just take mastery over our lives. And yet when we walk into a church, we talk about this all the time. It's not always easy to surrender. Like, there's almost a preparedness. You, you have to go in ready to surrender. You know what I mean? And I always think it's funny in, in war movies when people, they, like, prepare to surrender. They're, like, getting all dressed up, and then they go out. It's like Game of Thrones. I'm not talking about any movies. I'm talking about GOT. <laughs> and, and you got Jon Snow on his, like, he doesn't ever surrender, but, like, you know, his bare fur thing and with all of his wolves. And I always just think it's interesting because there is really, like, a mentality that when you walk into church or you walk into a place where you worship God and you connect with him, and if you've never done it, maybe you're new to church and you should try it and do it, all you got to do is lift your hands up. You can start here. Guys always start here. Then they go here, and then they go here, one hand, and then they close the fist if they're feeling strong. And then, and then when they're, and then when, and then single ladies, it's the opposite. They're like here, they're like, find me a husband, lay it in my hands, and then it's both hands up all the way back. Like, they're going to back, dive backwards because they're ready. And now guys, it's just different. But I, I, it's, just, it's always interesting to watch stages of worship. And we always say, like, in leadership, how, how, how to watch, how to, how to find great leaders is watching how they engage in worshiping God. Because uh, if they're not going to worship with you, in front of you, they're not going to lead when you're not looking. And, um, and that's, a, that's a big deal for us. That's good. Yeah. yeah that's really good. So... Don't be afraid when you worship, because it's it's. I think that's that's the exchange is is, and we've talked about this with fear is like letting removing it from yourself. And ironically, one of the decisions you have to make in worship is to trust someone who's invisible. And that seems really irrational, except depression, anxiety, stress, despair—they're actually putting your trust in something that's invisible. And that's why you're experiencing that. Because depression and despair is projecting a negative outcome of your future. The reason you feel depressed is because you can't imagine a better you. You can't imagine a better future, a better life. And so you're actually rooting your soul in the most negative future possible. The reason we experience anxiety is because 
we have an unidentified number of things that feel out of our control. And we assume a negative outcome. I mean, would you really feel anxious if everything was out of control and you thought it was going to come out great? <laughs> you wouldn't. You're like, ah, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, stuff is happening, man. I can't even see it. It's everywhere. <laughs> you know, you'd just be loving it and love uncertainty. <laughs> it wouldn't make you anxious. You'd just be exhilarated. You'd be like on life drugs. It would be like, you know, what's wrong? I don't know. You know, it's like life is just so good. The, the reason it creates anxiety and depression is because you're assuming that everything that's out of control will only have a negative outcome. So when you realign your life to God, you've added a factor that does not allow a negative outcome to prevail. And so the pastor... Should we get to the practical uh, yeah, part? He, so he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. And while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, the imagery is beautiful. His soul is in a wilderness, so he runs into the wilderness. His soul's in a desert, so he's wandering a desert. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed. Now, if we stop there, that would be a great thing, right? Except here's his prayer. He prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down at the bush and fell asleep. And I hope you never have a moment in your life where you just feel like you can't Take one more step. But I have um, a sense that more of us will feel that at some moment in our life than we care to admit. And Elijah, and this is so important, he came to the end of himself. He did not want to live one more day. He just couldn't take his life. So he asked God to take it for him. And then he fell asleep. Have you ever noticed that when you are overwhelmed by life, you just don't have any energy? Have you ever found that you had a job you didn't belong in, so you get sick all the time? In fact, one of the ways I know that you're in the wrong job is if you get sick all the time. One of the ways I know that you're in the wrong job, in the wrong career, in the wrong place is that you have limited energy because your energy is getting less and less and less and less. And so if you find yourself not be able to sleep at night, not be able to get up in the morning, you need to pay attention. He fell asleep, and watch what God does. All at once, an angel touched him and said, you lousy, lazy, unbelieving, faithless prophet, why in the world did God waste his time with you? That's not in there, so don't worry, okay? But it's, it, you know what, where it is? It's in the subtle conversations in the church. No, what the angel says is get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head there was some baked bread and hot coals and a jar of water and he ate and drank and then he went back to sleep. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> I'm just grabbing the donuts and I'm going back to bed. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And, and the angel came back and said, I fed you. I gave you something to drink. What are you going to do? No. 
It says the angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Oreb, the mountain of God. And there he went to a cave and spent the night there. When we were talking about this, Aaron, what, what's, what it stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this back stage of like the, the, the practicals of being able, of how to actually get yourself healthy. And this is something you've really kind of set in my life. When I moved back from New York and I, and I couldn't really sleep and I was kind of insomniatic, kind of walking around the Hollywood two or three in the morning, just listening to music, walking my dog and just being crazy. And, um, and, you, and you said you need to sleep and you need to get up on time and you need to go do something and accomplish something. You need to eat food. You need to rest. And then you need to go surround yourself with people who are going to speak life into you. And, um, and I think there was a season of my life where the anxiety that kind of was pouring out of me was based on the fact that I wasn't following the system. That I wasn't actually taking time for myself and actually letting the physical side of me heal so the spiritual side of me could flourish and actually thrive and build. And I think we so often want to get better without actually doing anything about it. And I think people, like even simplest things like going to therapy, it's like a scary word in church. You should have a healthy relationship. If you do go to therapy, you should have a healthy relationship with that. You should find someone who loves Jesus and can love you and build into you. I think that's okay. There's things in life that are beyond maybe what, um, not beyond, but in a different realm than what pastors will build into your life in a leadership way. And, um, and that's, I think, basic spirituality. And I think one thing with you is you've always encouraged educating myself making sure that I'm always growing my mind, that the laziness of my mind would be the death of me, that when I'm actually not thriving, it's usually because I'm not um, learning, and I'm not diving, and I'm not building into my own mind, and that my spirit's um, unhealthy because my mind's unhealthy. And I think we pour Netflix into our brains, which I do too, so much. You do it. And then... And then... I do, I've been... Sorry, I'm just like, hey, we do it, we do it. Um, this, this is called self-disclosure. It's called self-disclosure? Yeah, that means you disclose over there. <laughs> I'm dragging you down with me. If this ship's going down, it's going down. All right, go. I love Netflix, all right? All right. Product, product yeah, yeah, yeah. placement. <laughs> no, but I think, the, I think the reality is that, like, we, we don't... We stay up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, and then we wonder why we're exhausted the next day, and then we wonder why our relationships are short because we're not actually having the energy to pour into them. And I think God created sleep that we could have it, that we could take it, we could rest in it, and then we could eat and be in community the next day. And so I think we, you, and you've said this so many times, it's not rocket science. It's right here. Guy who accomplished big things gets his heart broken and his fear instilled because he's afraid because he stopped trusting in the God that had just so previously acted for him. And I think we forget so quickly. This is the thing that I see, is that he would rather God take his life because he feels like that's more him in control than it would be for Jezebel to take his life because he doesn't get to decide if she takes his life. And the last thing he wants to do is be just like everybody else and out of control. And I, and I think that's our, that's our daily hurdle is releasing things that are out of control and, and, and actually maintaining the things that are in it and like our health and our sleep and our rest. Now there's an irony here. She wants to kill him. He's afraid to die, so he asked God to kill him. So weird. And 
the, the reality is he didn't have the energy to face his next challenge. And what we need to realize is that you have to replenish your soul. You have to replenish yourself. That even when things are going well, you have to take time to take care of you. And I, I, I think it's such a tender story that the angel cooks bread over hot coals and has a jar of water for him. God wants to take care of his basic needs. And, and that's one of the things we really, and I think everything Aaron said, I just want to you know, just reiterate. and Make sure that if you're struggling, that you rest. Not, not the kind of rest that's restless, and because you can't really rest well if you're not living well. So make sure that you're giving yourself to things that matter when you're awake so that you're exhausted when it's time to sleep. And then um, one of the things that just medically I learned was you need to make sure you get at least one hour of sunlight between 8 and 11 in the morning, if at all possible, because it actually sets your, your cycle for healing and mental health. And, and so just, I try to encourage you, get up in the morning from 7 to 11, try to get 45 minutes, an hour of sunlight, get outside, no sunglasses, no baseball cap, and, uh, and just allow nature. God created you to need sunlight. Isn't that crazy? And without sunlight, you actually will become more depressed. You actually will begin to struggle with anxiety and despair. And make sure you eat well. Take time to eat well and eat healthy. And, and not, not for vanity's purposes, but for the health of your soul. And so take time to do that. Have you ever noticed that there ends up being so many eating disorders connected to a broken identity? Those things are not incidental. And you need to make sure that you take care of your physical aspect, but then you also need to make sure that you, you are moving toward a healthy identity. A part of the reason that we're so broken in the city is that we're so alone. We're so disconnected. You are not designed to do life alone. We need to remember that it was God who said, it's God who saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so even Adam's perfect relationship with God was insufficient without a relationship with another human being. So you don't do the, I just, it's just me and God. Don't do the, it's just me and Jesus, I don't do church. You know what's crazy? You can't really do Jesus without doing church because Jesus does church. And, uh, and <laughs> because he created you for community. He created you for relationships. So you have to take some kind of risk. And, and the crazy thing is that it's people who oftentimes break you. But it's also people who God uses to heal you. So you can't allow the past pain to close you off from your future healing. The friendships that you need are waiting for you as you decide to become a friend to others. I think one of Elijah's great problems is that he thought he was all alone. In fact, when he goes to the cave, he says to God, I am all alone. I'm the only person who loves you. I'm the only one who's following you. I'm the only prophet on your side. And God says, no, you're not. <laughs> I love that guy. No, you're not. 
The only reason you think you're the only one is because you're all alone. See, in some of you, you've convinced yourself that no one can understand your pain. No one can understand your problems. No one can understand what you're going through. And you know why you think that? It's because you're all alone. And God doesn't heal him completely in the cave. God sends him out of the cave to go pursue his purpose, to live out his intention, and to get with the people who are waiting for him the entire time. And I, I just want to encourage us as a community. And we need each other. Look, I, I, it's been so clear to me. I mean, I am the lead pastor of our community. I'm supposed to be like the spiritual voice of Mosaic. But I can tell you, I cannot do this alone. I, I, I don't just want community. I need community. And that I am acutely aware that even from an outcome perspective, I cannot achieve God's intention for my life by myself. Because if your dream can be accomplished by yourself, it's not the dream God has for you. That's it's so just good. too small. Because if you're big enough for your dream, that's not God's dream for your life. If you're big enough for your life, it's the wrong life. You, wow. Hold up. My mind is like beautiful mind moment for you. Um, I'm just trying to hang on. Um, do you feel like, especially with, I, I feel like I talk to a lot of people who go, this is my journey. I'm here to LA. I feel like the story that we hear a lot in LA and, and not so much on the West side, but, but mostly, you know, and especially in Hollywood is I came for a dream. I came for this. I'm on this path. I'm, I'm out for, for basically for me to succeed how do we be tribal people, people that actually are connecting with a larger tribe to accomplish something that's greater than ourselves and build the church? But what do you say to people that go, I'm, I'm on this journey. I don't know if LA is really where I'm going to end up. I don't know where, where, I, where I, Mosaic is really going to be where I have my kids and marry somebody and, and build the life. What do you do with people like that who go, well, you know, I'm just going to let people come into my journey and, and go with me? What is that? I feel like we kind of get scrambled up in that. Yeah, this is a city where, where dominantly people come and it's me. And so God has to just absolutely turn your life upside down so you can turn that me into we. And the question is, how much pain do you, are you going to need to go through to realize you're not supposed to do this alone? That's up to you. I'm kind of hoping you pick it up early. Because the more damage you allow to your soul, the longer it's going to take for God to heal you. Because we act like, you know, God's supposed to heal us in a second. You know, if it took 20 years to get as broken as you are, don't expect for God to fix it in two minutes. Because it's a deep and it's an honest and authentic work that God's doing in you. And so that work takes a long time. Today I was on a radio show and I talked about how we tend to be... Um, relational transience. We tend to see people as here on a temporary basis in our life. But we're like train hoppers. And it becomes that way with the church. It becomes that way with, with who you're dating. And, and unfortunately, it even becomes that way a lot of times for people in marriage. We're just relational transients. And we, we feel like, oh, that person was just here for a season in my life and we keep moving on. And if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself alone in the end. And because if you don't make people your highest value, they will become 
a non-value in your life. They'll just drop right to the bottom and disappear. And you have to be careful not to see people as instruments to help accomplish your purpose or your, help you achieve your goals. And you also need to be careful not to use human beings as um, a relational version of heroin to give you a feeling of pleasure and being alive, but also to dull the deep emptiness and pain in your soul. And if you're a person that just keeps like moving from person to person to person, and then when that person no longer satisfies you, you just throw them away and move on, you need to realize you're an addict. And you need a real deep relational detox so you can break free from that addiction and be, and, uh, and be free and be whole. Because I'm convinced that ultimately what God wants to do is heal us so that we can love completely. And so our, our time is way past. But um, I, I think it's really important that when you realize there's always hope, that there's always hope. Don't let a voice in your head tell you that there's no way out. God always creates a way of escape, even when you've created your own prison. Even when you've set all the booby traps, God knows exactly how to get you out of that maze. And if you don't, and if you go, I can't see it, then maybe it's because you need a seeing eye human. You're blind to how to find hope, and you need people who see hope to help you find hope. So grab people, grab someone. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And um, um, know that tomorrow can be better than today, but it will not be better by accident. It'll be better by choice. There's a choice you can make right now that'll move you one step closer to wholeness, one step closer to health, one step closer to hope. And that's the step you need to look for. That's the step you need to define. And if you know, know what it is, you need to ask someone, what do you think is the next step I need to take to become a better human being, to become a more whole human being? And don't despise wisdom. If you keep rejecting the insight that people give you, looking for the person who will just agree with you, you're basically looking for another fool. And so you need to listen to the people speaking into your life, saying um, you're, you're, you're a train wreck, you know, or you're, um, you're heading toward a collision or a disaster. And, and by the way, if you're someone's friend, you should have the courage to speak into their life. A lot of times we don't speak in someone's life because we don't want to offend them. And then later we're looking back and going, oh, what if I had done this? Like, don't live that life, what if. Never go to someone out of judgment. Never go to someone out of condemnation. Never go to someone out of arrogance. Only go to someone out of love. And the people that you have the right to speak into are the people you've loved. Because when they know you've loved them, you've earned the right to speak into their life. So don't be like a runaway hammer going, I'm going to speak into everybody's life. Please, please don't pick <laughs> me for that one. Yeah. And, uh, go to the people that you've earned their trust. Right. And, uh, but care about each other and invest in each other's lives. Aaron, do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think especially dealing with, uh, with kind of this week and, and 
the topic of conversation of mental health and, and being healthy and also how do you handle loss. And, and some, a good friend of mine the other day said, loss is loss, whether you lost love or you lost someone that you love to, to death, and, um, and whether you're living or, or you're dying, and, and loss is loss, and we all have to handle it and we all have to deal with it. And that's a huge part of your book, and especially even just me handling kind of the potential loss of, of you. But um, one thing that we talked about was... Uh, was it you have the opportunity to affect every single person in a moment. Maybe you don't have minutes with every single person. Maybe you don't have a full-on conversation with every person. But one of the things that really, I think, weighed on my heart this week was, you know, you obviously can't take the blame for someone who takes their own life. But there's just no way you don't wake up every morning thinking that I could have hugged that kid one more time. Do you know what I mean? And so if that's the difference, a moment, 10 moments, 12 moments, whether it's the door guy, whether it's the guy at lunch, whether it's uh, my mechanic who I yelled at and he yelled back this week, so I failed that moment. Um, but I think that is, our, that is within our power to be purposeful with and really influence with. And, and, um, and I think this week has really been the reminder that that that's, the, that's what got me to church was that door guy took a moment and said, hey, come here and just wait with me for a minute. Let me tell you about Jesus. And then with this kid who passed away, and I think that's the moment that whether I like it or not, we'll replay for a very long time. And I think when we lack confidence and lack uh, the ability to step into what God calls us like Elisha in this moment, um, whether it's inviting our friends to church, whether it's engaging with worship, maybe it's stepping into a relationship with Christ that you haven't done yet um, and you need to do it. This is a podcast, but we're going to hopefully, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, hopefully at the end of this you will. Like there are a bunch of weird people talking about brokenness, but we do it openly. Um, but making, uh, making those moments really count and really matter and making sure that... Uh, that the people that you least maybe would worry about, that you actually do worry about. Like I've just started, I mean, I started a list on my phone of people who I come in contact every day, but I don't know their name. And I think, we were talking about this morning, we're making a Google Doc of, we want to reach 2,000 people and know 2,000 people that we invited to this church here around this city and know them by name and know every person at every restaurant or every person at every bar and every person at every spot that we can think of because I'm sick of people dying on me, to be really honest. And the, the lack of confidence and maybe running a church is the scariest thing in the world because you do it so effortlessly and it's so not easy at all. You people are crazy um, in the best way. Um, not crazy, crazy, but just annoying crazy. Um, <laughs> But that uh, this is really life or death. And I think we, we kind of joke around and, and go, hey, church is like, you know, it's exhausting or it's long. Or sometimes they go too long. Or sometimes Aaron preaches and he's really quiet and he makes a lot of jokes and he gets on tangents. Or maybe Joe preaches and he yells at us and everybody loves it and everybody comes to Jesus because he's good looking and stuff. Um, but, but really this is, this is uh, life or death, you know. I think we forget about it. The person that is one conversation away from you inviting them to church could be life or death. Does that make sense? And I want you to feel it, and, I, and, and not in a guilting way, but maybe if, it, if you feel guilted, do it. Feel guilted. Um, but I want you to hold that pressure because I've got this kid on, on me now, and I will wake up thinking his name every day for the rest of my life. 
And I want you to figure out who those names are on your heart, in your world, in your life. Or maybe you're here because someone took the, the opportunity to invite you. And that's the real conversation we're going to have every day is how to keep people alive and to keep people thriving and to keep people pushing towards the best future that they could possibly have. That's all I got. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. And, and ironically, Mariah called me and she's so mad at me right now. So that's a beautiful thing. God works. We're a real family. We're a real family. God works full circle. Maker of heaven. We've been go- we talked for an hour. And, um, uh, and I hope you guys, this has been helpful uh, to everyone who's here tonight. Yeah. Did you enjoy tonight? Was it all right? Okay. Um, I know that there's been, no, there's been no rhythm to how we do Mosaic Venice, and I think we're keeping you on your feet, on your toes a little bit. We don't want you to just come in here and know that this is how they do church. Like, we're going to do church how God calls us to do church each week differently, and we want you to walk in here prepared, willing to risk your relationships, whether I'm speaking, Joe's speaking, you're speaking, which it's, it is an honor to be able to serve under you. You are a genius and a man of God and a and prophetic and you have changed my life and you've changed so many lives. We're going to keep that going. So we're closing this up, the Battle Ready Podcast. And we said it's a, uh, how often do we do it, Aaron? We do it every day except for the days we don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're going to do this for a little while. We'll get it trimmed down to like 30 minutes. Today was an hour. An hour. Yeah, so we did two at one time. But I think this was a really important conversation. <laughs>